0: welcome welcome back everybody to uh another episode of energy bites red dad is here today uh we had fuse earlier this week so thanks everybody that came out i'm actually repping a uh honeycomb shirt thanks oleg shout out to oleg for uh for giving us some stuff i've actually decked out my uh my cup as well with a bunch of new uh honeycomb uh stickers they're pretty good oh like i know you were behind those so keep doing them they're legit here with uh bobby today i've got one for you it's in the oh, truck. Sweet. i just forgot to bring it inside and today we've got the founder of kelvin peter harding
1: hey nice to meet you guys thanks yeah, for uh, thanks for coming on man absolutely happy to be
0: here yeah i'm glad we could uh catch you while you were in town that, indeed that works out uh works out well, well let's jump into it so um you're the founder CEO of Kelvin currently kind of walk us through, you know, where you from, where you grew up, how you got kind of into energy and then to a founder of a energy tech startup.
1: Totally. Yeah. So, uh, again, thanks for the time today. So, uh, born and raised in the Bay area in California and was really active sort of as a kid in a lot of kind of different engineering endeavors and got <clears throat> excited about building stuff fast forward uh i was thinking about the one of the big catalyst events for me was actually the the persian gulf war around an awareness around energy and and a recognition that i didn't really understand why we had a whole bunch of our troops over there and and was trying to sort of rationalize that as a kid and that was that was interesting in the sense also because my dad's a two-time you know vietnam vet like a couple tours and and had really like you know gone out and and made that that sacrifice and i was trying to understand sort of his effort and commitment versus the what we were why we were out there sort of in you know in the gulf war and that sort of energy dependence as a kid really resonated with me and so i started to think about what what types of technologies, other things in the future are going to change that so fast forward, um, I became aware of a lot of the kind of interesting work that was starting to happen around directional drilling and fracking kind of going back, you know, this is, you know, pushing 20, 20 plus years ago. And as a kid from California, that's not a, that's not necessarily (laughs) top of mind. Um, (laughs) But for me, it was just, it was one of these, like both of those technologies were so transformative that um but not necessarily appreciated in parts oh, of the right. silicon valley yeah, uh still aren't still aren't right and, <laughs> yeah. and i and i say that with like i i have the same sort of appreciation that i think many folks in texas do for frankly how hard it is to 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 do that and to make those it's, systems it's work. really mind-blowing when you think about what <laughs> like it totally miles is. underneath and, miles out like exactly nobody, Fourteen thousand. 000 yeah, yeah. Like, nobody um, talks about it no really. and 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 so when i started to think about it i'm like wow that is that's really interesting. What types of things can I bring to potentially be a, you know, sort of as a, as a, as an entrepreneur and a person who's interested in building things, what types of technology can I bring to bear to potentially aid and support some of these things? Because I do believe that where we are today at 13 million barrels per day, as of, you know, I think that I saw that statistic, (laughs) right? Which is sort of the, you know, that was pre-pandemic levels. We're back to that that's a function of what we've done on sort of the work in the us right and that's amazing
0: yeah it's funny when you think about that and you look at the uh the uh peak oil decline curves and stuff and you're like it goes like this and then the shale boom kicks off and it just comes right back up and i think that's a just side bar but i i think that's the thing that somebody mentioned this actually at fuse um you know when they when people account for technology and they forecast stuff they don't forecast that and you can't right you can't forecast new things that haven't been invented yet or That's that right. haven't been proven yet but things like that but the weird thing about commodities is the higher the commodities price the, the more potential You'll there find is a way. Right, right yeah 14 dollar yeah. an
1: mzf gas and all of a sudden hey we're right. you know, like, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah well i was with sort of fast forward till we can talk about it. but just on the along those lines um a couple of weeks ago i was back at the the climate impact conference one yeah. of our investors is ogci or now climate impact okay. and vicky halib was talking about some of the work that oxy's doing right? mm-hmm. and you know today they expect you know for t- traditional expectations that we get about 10 yeah. percent you know out of in terms recovery of what factor or whatever recovery yeah. factor is and you look at some of the potential in terms of new eor techniques <laughs> you're yeah. talking about like 19 that's right. yeah that's insane i mean right even
0: like, like i think that was something that like, almost an arbitrage that they are thinking with exxon because exxon's over here pumping that they can they're going to 2x the recovery factor well if you just 2x your permian footprint and you can 2x <laughs> that now you got 4x potential. Right. You know that's like right. so
1: yeah so i i get excited about step function changes yeah. that that technology can bring yeah and and i have for a long time i think that's one of the beautiful things about growing up in the bay area is like you see how technology has such massive impact, yeah. right? And and then you think about okay, well, what are the sectors where that actually can have far-reaching, you know, sort of uh, sort of longer-term impact? And energy is one of those, right? Sure. So back in uh, really in 2015 is when I started to spend some more time specifically working kind of in the oil and gas space, mm-hmm. and this was a function of I got introduced uh by a, a very good friend from business school and, and now an investor and board member um to a small oil and gas operator that was based in Ponca city oklahoma that was trying to figure out how they could optimize production and mm-hmm. i had worked in technology before i'd been on the investing side previously i'd kind of gone through during business school i was always trying to figure out new businesses to start sure and and i started to see where there were opportunities to use more of these kind of advanced like hardware solutions that were coming out that were most notably kind of in phones, yeah, sure. right? So you had different types of you had magnometers, you had different accelerometers, yeah. you had all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff that's now sitting, it's like supercomputer effectively yeah. in your hand. Can you start to use some of that technology plus advances in data science, plus the reductions in costs in compute power and storage? Yeah. What could you do with that? And through this introduction, we ended up realizing that we had a technology that was able to understand movement in a very precise manner. And, and what we did was we took Android devices, mm-hmm. we put them in basically plastic boxes, and we zip tied them to pump jacks out, in, you know, out near Ponca City. Yeah. And we started to find interesting movement patterns in that. And what we realized was if you could correlate the different movement pattern to different downhole conditions, <clears throat> you we're sort of starting to be able to do what some of those you know old school operators do when they walk out there and sure. they put their hands on the pump and right. they listen and they understand like there's a whole bunch of signal that comes through mm-hmm. that. Yeah, we're like, cool. Can we capture some of those details? And we started to we we built from that point. Yeah, and fast forward, what we realized was that was helpful like the hardware stuff was interesting but uh as i like to say they don't call it you know they don't call it easy wear oh yeah so (laughs) um there's a piece of this which is can we do more and more of this originally pattern matching Mm -hmm. into so some sort of pattern leads to some sort of an insight and then from that insight do you take an action right and and kelvin today is really all about taking insights to actions Mm -hmm. and and we focus on this concept of we we want to be able our mission is to deliver autonomous operations okay to do that you have to start with applications optimizing assets Mm -hmm. and so that's what is an application doing it's taking a series of inputs from what could be the data streams that are coming off of a particular well and using that to find the patterns which inform some sort of an action, speed change or otherwise. Yeah. And what we've realized is that you don't need to, that's that concept of I have inputs, I have logic and I have outputs, like that, that becomes something that's extensible across a whole bunch of different parts yeah. of an operation. And in many ways, it's kind of what the engineers do on a day-to-day basis, sure. right? Um, so we look at it and we say, what does your best engineer do on their best day, right? Yeah. And typically what they're doing is like, they're synthesizing some information, right? They're deriving an insight, right? They're taking an action and they're measuring that impact. Yeah. Okay. That's like, that's a day-to-day engineering workflow. Can you do more and more of that actually in software, right? And can you make that what they're doing as kind of a series of manual processes, can you turn that into something that runs consistently and more automatically? And, and that's what Kelvin has really evolved into. So we started with pattern matching, interesting sort of signals coming out sure. of those pumps to today, looking for those signals, but turning those into insights and then taking actions. And, and through that process, we are delivering on this concept of moving towards autonomous operations. Yeah. Right. And, and as you know, it's kind of from a data science background. The more that you're capturing those work streams the more that you're able to measure those impact the better you're able to then predict what's next yeah. and you can start to learn and you can start to connect more of these things together not just as individual assets but as part of a broader system
0: sure so can you kind of bring that in then uh, how that improvement then helps with buy-in because i mean like again yeah or we can I mean, just talk about buy-in with ai ml just in general totally and because yeah, that's a good you talk about you're working with
1: old guys that think you're going to replace them yeah so i mean so if you go back into our history sort of 2015 2016 a lot of our initial approach was hey we have we have an algorithm right mm-hmm. we have an approach that that we think is going to be able to optimize this particular asset type and we're very good in terms of getting buy-in from senior-level folks. Sure. And then we sit down with folks who are like, wait a second, this does what I do. Yeah. This is a threat. And in that situation, you get a very natural reaction where folks are going to try to sabotage what sure. you do. Right? Makes sense. Um, what we realized, though, is that rather than coming up with an alternative, you know, and, hey, here's a better model, can we instead look to figure out who's, who on your team is doing it the best? Yeah. Because if we can capture and codify what your best engineer is doing on their best day, mm. that all of a sudden changes the dynamic. Yeah. Because now they're like, oh, wait a second. I, A, personally get leverage because I'm the best at this and I don't like to do all these manual tasks. So if yeah. I can describe it, turn it into an application, it frees me up. So I get some benefit. But the next piece then becomes, maybe this, the other guy who's pretty good <laughs> thinks he's better. Yeah. Right? So James thinks he's better than John. And James is like, well, I can build a better algorithm. I can build a better application. Let me show you. And you get this interesting dynamic where versus us coming in and saying, hey, we can do it better. Yeah. We're like, no, no, you can do it really well. In fact, the constraint is oftentimes the fact that the best engineers don't have enough time.
0: Right? Yeah. It's 24 hours in a day. They have 24 M- hours in M-A. a day.
1: So, you know, so the common refrain that we have is uh, <laughs> if you look at all the objectives from the ceo so i'd listen to a lot of earnings reports and i've been doing you know talk about using gen ai i use gen ai to go through and sure. like synthesize yeah. earnings releases yeah what are the ceos talking about and there's sort of four things that we hear about on a pretty consistent basis I need to increase production I need to reduce cost i need to achieve my esg objectives yeah. right and i need to maintain safety well that's a lot for one. <laughs> like, yeah, those yeah. are those are conflicting objectives, if you think in certain yeah, cases. Yeah, they can be. And how do you balance? Right. How do you think about that? And that's where we started to realize that if you can put those types of objectives into an application, you then freed that person up to be able to work on higher order problems. So yeah. You're getting a lot more leverage and you become a force multiplier. 100 yeah. percent. For the engineering team. And yeah. that's really where we have come at this now. So originally it was a much more adversarial sort Mm -hmm. of first sale and now we're like guys we know you're buried yeah right like you don't have enough time to get your stuff done what can we what can we do to help you and and because it's now so easy to build an application and that sounds like a big word but really it's it's if this, then that, in sure. certain cases to right. start. I mean, that's AI in general, right? Well, right, there's, is. I mean, <laughs> there's... Nessative statements. <laughs> that's right. So there, I mean, in terms of sort of demystifying some of the AI piece, you know, we talk about this a lot with, with customers, AI is not evil, right? Yeah. Nor is AI omniscient, right? Yeah. <laughs> AI is going to be a tool, yeah. right, for you. And the the thing to do is to understand how to use it appropriately. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... If we can help your existing engineering team get leverage out of the fact that AI is now a useful tool, it's not, it's not gonna take away their job. No. It's gonna free them up to be able to do more yeah. and and to and to again focus on higher order problems. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of things I wanna hit on there. I mean, A, like definitely a full force multiplier. I mean, talk about gen AI, you know, say I've got GitHub Copilot running my IDE, now yeah. I can write a script in five or ten minutes that would maybe take me an hour just to hack together. Right. You know, before. So again, again, freeze up more time. So I yeah. mean y'all are trying to play that role, it sounds like in the engineering space essentially. Yeah.
1: And and our sort of our typical users are kind of are two, two, two of those categories. So we think about production engineers who mm-hmm. are the ones who are utilizing the applications that are that are been created. And we have software engineers who are oftentimes building applications. Yeah. Now that person could be a data scientist or otherwise, sure. but typically they have some understanding of how to develop in Python yeah. or at least a basic, you know, sense for sort of how to set up a model. And then what we try to do is, is create a really easy way to take that model. And it, we talk about like, every model really wants to be an actor, right? Yeah. There's a lot more money in it, Fair enough. So how do you make that conversion? And sure. and when you do then it becomes interesting because we know that there's a ton of unutilized models mm, right sure there's a lot of stuff that's sitting on the shelf so can you unlock those can you empower them can you can you put them into real operating environment in a safe secure and scalable way yeah yeah
0: right and i think another one thing i want to get on there too because it, it seemed like you're talking you know you take say your best engineer best couple engineers and yeah so then you're able to institutionalize that knowledge, yes. which is a you know I think a big thing for me too. You know we're always trying to recycle. All right, you've got that in a Power BI or a Spotfire project. I want to pull that logic back into our data warehouse where it's source controlled. Totally. And then again, it's the proverbial Johnny gets hit by a bus thing. Yep. But I think another thing too is being if it's wrong, it's wrong in the same direction. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's yeah. under understated. Like yeah, you know like a really bad golfer slices and hooks. <laughs> yep. And you have no idea how to fix it. But if I only hook. I can know what the fix for the hook is and I can straighten it out. Yeah, but like right. if I'm all over the place, right left, you're screwed. You know, totally. like so I mean like at least with this like there's some directionality like if the models are veering off they're going to veer off together. Yeah. You know, in the same direction. Yeah. In theory, most in most cases. I think that's
1: that's oftentimes the case, yeah. right? Um but I think this is where again getting getting into the buy-in, right? Yeah, if, yeah. You know, if you've got if you got folks who are on the production side who are saying, "Hey, I've got a I'm, I'm crunched. I don't have enough time." Yeah. And and I could see how these tools these tools are valuable. Yeah. That's great. Like let's let's try it and let's also do it in such a way that it's not cost prohibitive and it doesn't take, you know, 9 months of yeah. of meetings to kind of get something up and running. I think one of the other pieces around your buy-in question is it's just a lot easier today to get this stuff implemented. Yeah. And and that's a huge shift. Both I think psychologically, I think folks are more open to you know, different types of technologies being useful. And two, the technology itself is just way, way more powerful and easier to implement. And, you know, you're using your GitHub, GitHub Copilot to build stuff there are going there are already and we've done some of this work t- already to be able to say like we can build similar tools to help that production engineer yeah. like i got to go synthesize you know i got all these documents i got to get through yeah. like and i can i can do three well reviews with my geologist and with my um, reservoir engineer in a day yeah like can i can i up that to 10 no yeah. like those types of things are where we're starting to see again very targeted applications of different types of ai and And AI, again, it's this catch all. Right. And I I like to be a lot more precise about what we're talking about. So as it relates to gen AI, I think there are some really interesting tools around document synthesis. Yeah. But it's great. It's great for batch data. Can't use streaming data through the systems right now. But can I go through and have it look, you know, be able to understand, okay, analyze these different documents give me some signal from that, that saves me time. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Pump
0: cards and, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the pump card stuff is going to be interesting. I'm even seeing, I just look at like, go through the existing documents and tell me about, am I in compliance? Yeah. Yeah. Across all of these different wells, like, do I have anything that I need do? I do. I need to, you know, increase my, you know, pumping at this particular well, like those types of things are even simpler examples to start. And then what we'll find are more and more, Opportunities to use these tools. the The truth, though, the biggest challenge that we've seen is many of the legal departments are still unsure as to how these AI tools are going to get used. Yeah. and So we've seen in certain cases, folks just shut stuff down. Mm-hmm. um And and that may hold. Uh, you know, I think we're as as folks are more skeptical around how this works. Yeah. There may not be like rapid rapid adoption. But the the major cloud players are all pushing. Oh yeah. To, to get better access. Well, and
0: at least with some of that too. I mean, I know. Uh, obviously, Microsoft is investing huge, you know, hugely in open AI, But I mean, like, yep. they've already got software you can create your own vector database within the Azure platform, and it's governed and secure. Totally. I um, mean, Databricks. I mean, you name it. I mean, they're all. They're all always saying they are, anyways. Too. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also some of that whole crossing the chasm thing, right? I mean, like yep. some people are just going to wait and see, and they're going to wait until other people have proven it out, and yep. other people will reap the benefits earlier, or maybe fall on the sword. Who Fast followers. I mean, yeah. It's what most of my my edge stint at hive cell made me truly realize that oil and (laughs) gas is not the only uh the only industry that is a fast follower it's pretty much every every major industry has that's a crossing the chasm is such a good book because of that because it doesn't matter what industry it is technology adoption is the same Yep, everyone doesn't want to for the most part put their necks out and be the first one to risk it and then fail and fall on their face and then all that stuff but once someone has something and you can come to a customer and say we're working for so and so it's amazing how much quicker those next meetings come totally just because you're now working for whoever yeah it's uh yeah it's a it's a weird dichotomy i i also think a lot of a lot of the initial you know five ten years ago even um a lot of the tech companies that were coming into the energy space were coming at it from a purely technology side yes and whether they knew it or not they weren't like to your point just how you switched how you framed the conversation with the mm-hmm. clients completely changes how they approach you and, absolutely and their reception of it and their perception of it and so being able to you know engineers like to think they're the smartest people in the room in most cases because they are <laughs> <laughs> all of them <laughs> and uh and so by instead of coming with them with, hey, we've got this custom yeah. model that, you know, I can't explain to you how it works and you'll never understand how it works, but I promise you it'll work to, you guys have the models or you guys can build the models or you guys can guide us on the models yep. and we'll help you implement, scale, train, deploy, manage. Yep. Makes a complete difference, right? Like, because anytime there's, there's uh, involvement from the end user, the buy-in is so much easier. Like, Totally. I learned that in industrial engineering, but uh, it's uh, working on the factory floor. It's like, hey, we're trying to make improvements to shave a minute off of the production time of this thing. Yeah. Well, guess what? The first people you should go talk to are the people that are doing the production of that thing. So right. I guarantee you, if they've probably tried a bunch of things that you're going to come up with out of the
1: gate. right. That's like right. it's... Yeah. yeah, I think there has been historically like a lot of hubris as folks have come into this market mm-hmm. with the, hey, we know better. And... Listen, I I guarantee you there were people in this market who would accuse us of that, you know, historically. Sure. And and I think what we've really tried to do is 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 switch our perspective and our and the way that we approach with a lot more empathy, right? Yeah. Which is what you have real issues that you're trying to, to solve. Yeah. Can we understand those? Yeah. Right. And once we understand them, maybe our technology is a useful tool. Maybe it's not, but at least you can articulate what those issues are to us. And if we're not the right, you know, if we're not the right partner for you, we can probably direct you to somebody who's a better fit. Sure. That's a that's a different way of approaching yeah. this market than I think certainly a lot. I mean, there's a lot of folks who have tried to bring advanced software AI, of course, fill yeah. in the blank, into the space and have just failed. Yeah. Literally.
0: Well, and, you know, then you get the... The push from investors and stuff right and they see the giant market cap for energy and they're like yeah. oh yeah, yeah that we want to be in that space yeah. until they get in that space and they realize that you know it's going to be two to three years before you do any work for a super major yeah. just because that's how they work if you yeah. can find the right person right it well and that's the thing you're enough like, to find the right person like, like oh that. well if we can just land shell or chevron or one of these giant right. we'll it's like you know, you're going to spend three years doing it yeah. and it's that's just the life cycle it takes instead of going and targeting some of the smaller independents or the smaller P.E. back companies who yep. their objective is to reduce cost. like they are much more incentivized directly to implement things that are going to drop costs, improve production, improve efficiency, because yep. their whole plan is an exit, right? So, the bottom line, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the bottom line is what's so much more important because yeah. everyone wins something. that But you know, it's
1: interesting, that's even evolved in the last few years, right? Because when I first started lots of you know, yeah. P.E. conversations and folks are like, well, we all we're gonna do is punch a few holes in the ground and flip it to the next. Right. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, yeah. right.
0: That's, that's changed a lot. Yeah, yeah. and so that
1: I think what we're yeah, also are not even
0: gonna waste time and effort implementing this new technology because we
1: might not be here in six yeah, months we're, anyways. Yeah, we're, we're gonna be out, and mm-hmm. and we're not going to. We're just gonna. We're gonna go with whatever the management team wants because we don't want to be too hands on. Right, yeah. and then we've seen that shift. Yeah, right, <laughs> and now all of a sudden. It's in certain cases it's taken a little bit more. I think some of the private equity folks are taking on what we've seen in the you know in the Bay Area around the venture model, which is a lot more services, right? Mm-hmm. That they're bringing. So hey, we can help you with talent. We can help you with marketing. Yeah. Some of the PE folks you know that we're talking to have said, yeah, we can help you with how sure. to optimize this. Now you're going to be holding this for a lot longer yeah. period of time. What can we do to actually share knowledge across different portfolio companies? And by the way, it's also good. For the certain PE shops that might actually have to report on ESG stuff True. and mm-hmm. some other things. It's like, is this information available? Are you able to impact decisions? Those kinds of things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about, kind of, I mean, so you, you mentioned some of the, you know, the hubris and stuff. And I think people can come in and then they think they can solve every problem. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like you guys have kind of narrowed to production, but I know you've dabbled in other sides. I mean, so I mean, just yeah. like how. <laughs> How has that evolved for Kelvin, and how? Like, I mean, where have you guys kind of found the sweet spot? Yeah, Yeah. so for us, some lessons learned too, because that's I think, I mean, as someone that has been in product for the last few years in the energy tech scene, uh, I think that's that's a very tricky thing, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's hey, (laughs) there is this kind of tech boom in the energy space because there is so much opportunity, like you've talked about, like there's so much, but then there's also you know, it's like, well, which one do I go with? And then, yeah. like, you've got to, there's that balance of focusing and, and going all in the same direction, but right. also as we grow, we need to continue to add new things if we want to keep growing kind of mentality. And yep.
1: so the key is to find the pain. Yeah. Right. And, and for us, the pain initially was production mm. right? where folks was, were saying, don't have enough engineers, don't have enough time, want to be able to increase yeah. these things. And so that that's where we started and we found we were fortunate right we had some early wins and we found sponsorship coming out of uh, there was a group of folks who you know at bp who who got like excited about what we were doing and were in a position where they really wanted to affect change okay and there's a lot of serendipity in that sure and but it was about being able to really support what their initiatives were with a technology that could actually have real impact, because I think this is where, when you're selling to engineers, you have to—it's like identify the pain, but yeah. then you have to deliver a solution, mm-hmm. right? And and if you do that, then you curry favor and you get more and more opportunity. And we were able to do that, you know, with with that team. Over time, what we found though was our business, as I mentioned, had hardware and yeah. services and software and other things which are just. They don't scale as well, yeah. and there are there, a lot of dependencies. There's
0: also, generally speaking, they're also very different business models. Exactly, too. The field time, yeah. service, hardware, and software are all standalone businesses well, as they exactly. Exist. And a field service, I mean, you don't even get into like the insurance and the things
1: you have to have, even if you're on the yeah. surface. But technically, oh, yeah. things go down a I mean, it's I like it's say, insane. Yeah, I'm not,
0: not going to get into that rant yeah. today.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, so so one of the things I I met with a very large controls company that told me and this was in 2019. They're like, okay. we are we're getting out of the hardware business. I said, well, that's odd. Like, You're a huge hardware provider. And they're like, yeah, we're not big enough scale. We're not like Foxconn, Apple, but okay. And I said, if they're too small, what am I doing <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this case? I mean, this is ridiculous. <laughs> For sure. So then it, it really forced us to rethink what we had in terms of you know, a real understanding from a software point of view and where we were strongest. And, and at that point in time, there was also an awareness that we needed to continue to upgrade our team on the control side and Mm -hmm. also on really building enterprise-grade software, given the types of companies that we were going after. And and so that meant we had to, we brought on some new people and we changed up the leadership team and we upgraded a lot of these key positions in areas that we knew were going to be important. And, And then what happened was, we we were fortunate because we had demonstrated some success already about being able to get software to work in remote challenging environments yeah. okay and we had a large like no, like nobody that we had marketed to a large company come to us and say we have a problem we are in a position where we've developed a lot of really interesting software and applications And we know it works yeah we've 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 done it but we've been cranking on how do we actually get this stuff to operationalize and into the field for two years and it's not it's not working and we said we got you and and at that point we went from being purely in production to starting to move into really into the completion side of the house and starting to realize that their problems were not so unique Relative sure. to what we'd seen on the production, you know, they were more complicated because you're talking about, you know, moving crews around yeah. and lots of dynamics and complexity there, but you could still distill it back down to this point about, oh, you have an engineer who you have a, some expert frac engineer who's decided they have an approach for this particular part of frac that they're best in class at. Great. Let's put yeah. that into an application yeah. and like, let's help them be able to then get that into the field and run and be successful. And that has led to both continued opportunities there as well as on the production side, the cute pain of, I recognize, I, I know I have a solution for this, but I can't, I can't deploy it successfully oh, yeah. and scale it. That has been pretty critical for us yeah. in finding those opportunities. And then once you do that, then it builds, right? And yep. you end up with folks who are saying, hey, I, I see you did it in one part of, like, we have You know, we've talked about Santos. That's, you know, sort of what we've done there is public. Like we're doing a lot of work with them, but that started really with some pretty simple initial production optimization Mm -hmm. application. And now today we're, you know, we're moving really across the enterprise. Yeah. And, and that's been because we have been able to demonstrate, we understand what the engineering problem is. We can help them put that into an application and then we can support that at scale depending on wherever they want to put it.
0: Yeah. So I've got a, an interesting question because mm. we've got a lot of similar experience as far as the data field side of things. What, it, what advice would you give to somebody? Because the oil field, I think one of the things that a lot of people underestimate coming in from outside of the oil field is that the oil field is unique around uh, the fact that the operators own all of the data, but they generate next to none of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, you know, if you're Google, it's very easy for you to control the input and the requirements and yep. all of the data that you're then turning around and analyzing and throwing at models. The problem with, especially on the drilling and completion side, is the fact that all of the data that's generated over there is generated by dozens of different service companies and yep. different formats and different standards, et cetera, different timestamps and intervals and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, th- my hypothesis was the reason y'all had it's not just y'all, there's been a number of companies that have started in software, got into the hardware space, in my opinion, as a means to an end because mm. there was no good way to get the data there into the software. Yep. And then realized how difficult it's not even necessarily hardware, but it's the field and the hardware component yep. of all of that is, and how obnoxious there are obnoxious things like insurance are and you know all the safety yep. requirements to have guys out in the field and all that stuff um can you just like unpack that a little bit because i think there's a lot of people that you know are, have an idea for a piece of software or whatever but then it's like well if i only had this data right or if i only had a way to pull data from this thing or know this specific thing and you you guys have a unique kind of exp- you yep. specifically have a very unique experience around that so T- kind of talk about that Sure. A bit.
1: Yeah. So I think as you've articulated, your software is only going to be as good as the data that goes into it mm-hmm. in terms of its ability to take appropriate action. Okay. So for us, what we realized was initially, yeah, we're going to go gather that data sort of raw from that particular pump and use it to define different types of insights and actions. Fast forward, what we also then recognize though is there are multiple ways to gather that data mm-hmm. today that may not have existed yeah. three years ago, four years ago, et cetera. So what we will find is there probably does, if you're talking about working in a remote environment, you can't rely on the cloud.
0: Okay, there, okay? so that's yeah, like- I wanna, I wanna get in on yeah, the, yeah, that. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's talk, we can talk more about yeah. that.
1: So, so there's there is just way too much interference wireless problems you know you've got lots of things that are happening in the permian today that will impact (coughs) any sort of like cloud system having true streaming data that's that's pristine
0: and no operator will ever sign off on any kind of automated or remote control if it's cloud-based because of the fact that yes if it goes down 0.01 percent of the time that's enough that's enough enough that yeah Yeah. the, the risk is so high in the field that that's enough that it's
1: that's right. And so that's led to this real need and and kind of where we've spent a lot of our time is this hybrid world yeah. between edge and cloud, mm-hmm. okay? And so a typical way that we would approach that is to say, okay, well, what operation are we talking about? If we're talking about completions then you're probably going to want to have some additional compute that's sitting in, you know, in the van, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's yeah. pretty straightforward because there's already compute that's out right. there. Maybe you add another box, but it's going to be a you know a generic linux box it's yeah. hardened or you you partition something that's already there and you use that compute and storage great so now you're getting a much more direct source of information yeah. and you can sort of measure the purity of that right. to determine how good it is and you can you know do your analysis to make sure that it's good enough to use for something else but you're doing that at the source and that's a big thing is part of the reason we have designed our product the way we have is we want to be as close to the source not just to read the information because we're a controls company. Like, yeah, right. We need to write back, yeah. right? So, so having the ability to get access to hardware that's gonna give you the information you need can be yours, you can partner with somebody else, but that's, that's critical. Sure. Once you have that, what we find is most of the time, you're gonna be making changes as close as you need to at, you know, to that system. Mm-hmm. So that could be, maybe you are making control changes at the edge, If you're doing that near real time or on a streaming basis, that totally makes sense. If you're making a change once a day, maybe you can run that out of the cloud. Sure. Okay. If you don't so so that time sensitivity depends on the nature of the the control decision that you're making. Yeah. Okay. So it gives you flexibility then to figure out because the closer you get to the edge, the more expensive your compute and storage is. Right. Yeah. Versus you're you're in the cloud, compute and storage is cheap. You're at the edge, compute and storage is expensive. And so there's a calculation as to where you want your application to run, right? So if you can build a really sophisticated, interesting model, but distill it down to a rule, you know, E equals MC squared, you can put E equals MC squared in an application and run at the edge. Yeah, Real easy, right? But if you need to run, train and do all these. Yeah. You gotta do that at the cloud. So it's this recognition that you want to be flexible and not try to force all of your models to the edge. You don't need to do that yeah you need to you need to decide what are the decisions you're making and put those as close to that to that asset as you need to
0: yeah i think that's a big uh question i would say around edge with a lot of people is it's like well, well what do i do here like yeah why do i do it here versus there and all that stuff and to your point like people don't think about like the urgency of a decision essentially mm-hmm. and it's like if you're trying to make a recommendation or something on an operation that's happening with people on it in real time, that has to be done as close to the data as it possibly can, at least in the oil field. Yep. Um, But, you know, like you said, if you're opening and closing a valve once a night or checking if the condition of something. Yep. Probably not that urgent. Right. Yeah. It comes down to that definition of real time. Right. Like some of these real time (laughs) things are literally (laughs) microseconds and some of them, some people mean in 10 minutes or, that's right or a day is real time for some people right, depending right. on what they're doing you I mean i was so. gonna say especially from like the skata side or production and skata to operation or uh drilling and completions right yeah. real time is very different like that's 15 right. minutes is real time in skata world but yeah real time and completions is one second and then real time on hardware is <laughs> nanoseconds milliseconds yeah, right that's right so yeah. it's uh it's an interesting thing but yeah i think you know the the two like big things for me going into the edge space and and all that from the energy side was you know that ability to have basically uh what is it called i'll remember the name in a minute but controls in a disconnected environment yes and which essentially means that the next step of that is automated controls in a disconnected environment so that's the the future you're automating some of these things truly automating them in the field and letting them run
1: and that's that's really what we've been able to do but then the
0: next thing is federated learning with some of that stuff where that gets like that people don't a lot of people struggle with what that is but like when you look like chat gbt is the best use case that the average person understands about federated learning right like millions of people downloaded it really quick lots of people are using it and they have continuously improved that model absolutely month over month week over week because it's continuously being trained on individual edge case models essentially right. right and so that's uh the federated learning stuff is just I think that's going to be us coming out of the trough of despair for AI ML yeah. is like people getting these federated models really down, getting them into production, and just seeing how quickly they're going to be able to accelerate the yeah. learnings of them.
1: Well, there's some other. There's an interesting sort of extension to that as it relates to the kind of the oil and gas space, which is historically we've thought about the different parts of the production process in in pretty siloed, Silas, yeah, like you know, sort of entities, right? Yeah. You know, I may have SCADA that runs across my whole system, but I'm using one piece of software to optimize a certain mm-hmm. lift type. I'm using another, you know, I'm using some other software to kind of manage potentially compressors. I've got other stuff that's managing distribution. And, and these are not all tied together yeah. in a in a thoughtful way. And one of the things that we we have been able to show is if you can look at these different assets as part of a system and not just thinking about them as a series of like local optimizations, but rather like what's our global optima, there's tremendous gains Mm -hmm. you can get out of that. And, and when it works, it's, it's that sort of thing where people can't quite believe it, but it, we've seen this in so many other spaces, right? So for me, I always look at financial services as kind of a a parallel where it's like, you think about programmatic trading. Yeah. Now they've had, right that wasn't a thing and, and it's
0: high stakes because that's one thing we always kind of knock like these people come up with their ai and they don't understand the risks but like automated trading i mean like yeah. you <laughs> made the wrong thing you cost someone millions billions exactly. of dollars i mean like
1: or yeah. crash the market and or the market. have to shut it down right so <laughs> so i look at that i'm like okay well that's that system level control at scale yeah right and again faster than anything we're talking about here yeah. but we know that those models exist and we know that they work because we've seen people make billions of dollars using that. And, it's, and over time, as you start to bring some of those concepts, those network concepts into these types of systems, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to unlock some really interesting things. And so you talk about federated learning. I think about that also as there's some interesting causal inferencing modeling yeah. and some stuff there where you're getting into a world where, yes, ChatGPT is awesome and there's some really cool tools around that i'm not sure that's going to have the same transformational effect on this sector as you will see some of these other fields of machine learning and emerging you know categories of ai because the beauty of control is you know every time you make a decision what the impact is right right? and you can learn every single time for sure that is and i look at that i say oh we're gonna we're gonna be able to open up. Some yeah, because really
0: yeah, you cool when, when it's a system like that, you know, if if you know, even if my pipe dammer goes from here to here, that like there's this different pressure, temperature, yeah, you know, PVT conditions that are affected by it. You know, I mean, you're t- you're talking about production that obviously impacts your marketing and midstream side. Yep. I mean, um, so no, yeah, that's a, I mean, it, it's funny because it's it's not just you know production or that side of the space either, right? Like completion. I mean frack interference is like the perfect example of this that yeah. i first noticed right it's like i don't know how it was probably damn near 10 years ago i went to a conversation that uh it was some lunch and dave kramer shout out to dave kramer uh at conoco did but he was talking about the they were doing new wells and like uh it was yeah new wells in a semi-depleted area of the barnet uh-huh. and they were having so much trouble fracking them and no one could figure out why and they were just looking at the individual fracks Mm -hmm. or wells and so i don't i don't remember how he ended up started looking at them but dave took a step back looked at all the wells on the map and we're like well these two wells over here have been producing for the last two years and their reservoir pressures are super low compared to the normal reservoir pressure of the barnet whatever that may be and so he started just thinking about it physically and holistically he's yep. like well they're just pressure sinks like they're yep. just sucking pressure literally high to low. sucking <laughs> the fluid away right. from what they're trying to stimulate And yep. so guess what they shut in those two wells they i think they ended up loading them up and stuff building the pressure back up and then they had no problems fracking the well in between them because yep. it no longer had this normal physical phenomenon right. known as pressure and so like the fact that you know even just that's com- a completions engineer on a not not even a pad but just a small part of the field yeah but like the fact that the oil industry as a whole we don't no one because of how it's segmented no one thinks about how the drilling schedule impacts the frack schedule impacts the the flowback schedule impacts the production schedule impacts the marketing impacts the sales impacts the refinery like it literally impacts the entire thing and anything along that way has impacts both upstream and downstream of it that's right and there's but you've got contracts you got to meet, right? You know, so it's like, like it's this giant dynamic multivariate system. Yeah. But most people don't think about it that way; they don't model it that way. And so it's really cool that y'all are
1: so able to start about pulling. It. We, yeah, we believe you have to you have to put this in place starting small, right? You yeah. start with production, and then you get into midstream, and then you get into other parts of it, and you begin to sort of build this up. Um, I like to think about this as much more of a biological system, right? Uh-huh. As a yeah. series of cells that you're just saying, like, we're going to connect these together. And like, the production cell is going to talk to this cell over here on the distribution side, and they're going to connect that. And like, that's what we, what, again, very high level, yeah. but that's how we conceptualize it. You touched on something else that I think kind of tying back to AI that I also wanted to highlight, which is there's also an awareness that. AI and sort of data science alone is not going to be what solves all the problems right, in no. this world. Like, we have to think about this in a much more hybrid model approach, right? You yeah. need to be able to think about how do I take a physics based model and how do I use it potentially and augment it with something else? Yeah. Like, the, those hybrid approaches are possible today. And, and that's the other piece that I think we're going to start to see maybe some unlock, which is okay, I've taken this, this model that I had that was pretty good. And then, But I've been able to modify it to some degree to turn it into something that is a little bit more data-enhanced mm-hmm. and see what those results are. Yeah, true. And and that's kind of where I think, again, a lot of this is hybrid. It's not going to be yeah. black and white, binary, super clear. It's going to be more of these blends that you're going to bring up. Yeah,
0: but, you know, people, again, people think that AI is going to replace their jobs and stuff. And it's like, for the short and near-term, AI is just going to enhance, yeah. right? It's going to... Sh- streamline trim time time, like like all of that stuff like it and you know Friedman or uh yeah Friedman yeah he was on the Rogan podcast talking about you know it's like everyone thought we were going to take blue collar jobs with AI out of the gate right and it's like it's actually just enhancing all of these other jobs that are more creative or whatever and and it's not taking them it's just making them easier faster more streamlined it's a a tool and maybe this is too frank right? but it's like if AI replaces your job in the next year or two you're not very good at your job (laughs) that's <laughs> I mean like yeah yep. learn the AI and uh, become an expert in it and yeah like, even a, prompting right like it's um, funny
1: I have a friend this is outside of this space but I have a friend who uh, he's a lawyer uh, sorry he's a, he's a law professor at University of Colorado and his name is Harry Surdon. he's done a lot of work in AI applications to the law and all over linkedin lots of activity and we had breakfast a couple months ago and he said I just have a, my cousin is graduating from college right now. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. He goes, do you know what I gave him? I'm like, no, he's like my graduation gift to him was an open AI subscription. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> because he said that if you understand this and you actually learn these tools, you're going to be so much better, regardless of what yeah. job you go after next, but just, just figure out how to get some mastery mm-hmm. of this yeah. and see where you can go to. And I thought that was insightful, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because it's a, tool right and it's not scary if you actually start to use it it's actually really empowering but
0: you you can understand the bounds of it too like what it's not good at what it is good at and you know that's a like the one of the examples i used in my pitch deck was uh was for breast cancer screening right doctors alone were like 80 percent accurate the ml it was a computer vision model the computer vision model uh, of the i think they're mras was uh like seventy-five percent whatever, but combined it was over ninety percent. Yep. And that's literally millions of lives of people who were saved every year just from that. And so like the hybrid approach is absolutely, I think, I think people haven't been told or it like people don't talk about that a lot yeah. in public or yeah. just it's in like general. A zero sum. Right. It's, like it's, not, it's, all, like, it's it's all it's this not, all or nothing. But that's, that's absolutely not, not how that's anything, that's anything not, works. Yeah. How this works, yeah. yeah.
1: Right? Uh and so I think that's where there's so much potential is if we can stay Listen, I'm, I'm an optimist and I believe that there's, these are really powerful technologies that can be used for good. Right. Mm -hmm. And now it's a question of how do you make that tool appropriate for the job at hand? And then once you've done that, it will open up new opportunities and new cool things to do. And you know, on down the line, I mean, like, I
0: was just thinking about like, like the brain computer is what we're trying to go after. Like, so you're always going to be trying to get there. I mean, Mm -hmm. so at some point the brain is still going to be better or have more capacity. Yep. You know, now different models can maybe be better at more narrow scope things. And I think that's what we're talking about here. Like when you can combine like just the overall general computing power of our brains, but then focus it with something like a more narrow focused, you know, AI, then like that that is really, really yeah. good at that one thing or yeah. a couple of things. And you we're power. better at learning like higher level things than we are like because we're not able to process yeah, like like like, math, of like, data, like right? doing like ridiculous math, you know, mm-hmm. even adding two numbers that are huge like we can't do that. Yeah. yeah off top of our heads very quickly right the calculator can but <laughs> understanding that you know thousands plus thousands equals thousands yeah versus you know those types of things are
1: yeah are, uh, and i think the human brain is incredible at pattern matching yeah yeah particularly across i mean where where does ai struggle it struggles like if i go from text out of a pdf to you know text out of a different file type it mm-hmm. may struggle right mm-hmm. maybe today it's better but sure. human brain's gonna be able to figure out patterns yeah. across those
0: well, that's like yeah. we were talking about that brac uh, Model that Bobby had had written, and you know we were trying to do it numerically, and I told them I was like it's annoying because with frac like I can sit and look at any treatment plot and tell you exactly what's happening during the treatment yep. but programming that into a computer is so hard right how am I going to write that function right yeah actually and well, there's so like so many edge cases yeah you know which I mean that's the that's the problem with AI is or ml in general is you've got to program all that you've got to get those edge cases people yep. but then it's like in, you can you have good data sets but you don't just want good data but then it's only as good want, as the data you've given it, it that's I mean, what i'm saying like you, mean like, like you want good data that also has bad things that happened right. so in it so that you it. can find yeah and train yeah yep. but like, i think
1: that's where you're seeing like really interesting work and there's going to be better and better training approaches and things going forward but you're not going to take that human understanding like when we talk right. about kelvin we talk about i want to i want human expertise plus artificial intelligence to yield better you know impact yeah if you do that you're doing some interesting work for sure and and that's applicable across all sorts of areas any domain right as well as more broad domains
0: so what's uh give us some some real world examples that you can yeah um, as far as you know some of the impacts you guys have had or just the the findings that you guys have had on on some with some of your
1: yeah. So recently what we've been able to do is, I think this is a classic example of like some of the, so with Santos, there was a, a particular engineer who was an expert in progressive cavity pumps. Okay. And his approach was, I want to be able to take some information that comes out of the reservoir and I want to be able to also use information that's coming off of the pumps themselves. And, and with that, in Excel, I can start to actually help make better decisions around sure. how to manage this stuff and we looked at that and we're like oh that's a perfect you know potential yeah. application and there's there's some real data science in some of that to do mm-hmm. pattern matching and there's some real like sort of human understanding right. of that process so if we can capture and codify that we can turn that into something that can be quite powerful and so that was very appealing to some folks in Australia who have a you know a lot of progressive cavity yeah. pumps, and so what we did is we just started with a typical kind of trial and began to run that and began to sort of see what the results were, and very quickly it started to show production gains that were meaningful. It started to show energy reduction because we were running the pumps more efficiently, mm-hmm. reduced number of workovers, and, and all of the goodness. Yeah, and what that has led to is sort of two things: one expansion of that particular application. So that's now running, you know, across over a thousand thousand wells. So that's been good growth. The other thing though, is it's really inspired the, you know, the folks at Santos to start where other, what other things can we apply this to, this approach, right? Which is, yeah, we have a great engineer who has this awesome idea. And so we're working on actually now six or seven different projects where that concept can be applied and it can be done in the beginning at a small scale. Yep. right. And if it works, great. But I think it doesn't always have to work. It doesn't always work. So then yeah. the question is, how do you learn from that and try a different approach, or do you go after something entirely different? Sure. so that's on the that's an example on the production side. You know, on as it relates to sort of some of the work in the ofs world, what we are finding is that you break down you can break down sort of the completions process similarly, and there are great engineers who really understand. How to optimize certain parts of the of the frack process and in that case what we've been able to show with them is like this can have a material impact both in terms of are we are we fracking to plan right Mm -hmm. are we getting the Mm -hmm. results that we expect right are we doing it as efficiently as we possibly could and is it being done consistently so these are all things where Historically, you can get different crews who have different approaches yeah. who are thinking about, hey, I've got a slightly better way to do it and I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. take take my own sort of mm-hmm. understanding of this situation and apply it. Okay, cool, but is that really what is that really what the boss wants? Yeah. Right? I don't know. Maybe when you see I mean, you can see
0: those biases between the morning crew oh, and the night crew. I mean, like, exactly I mean, I exactly. he, you know, one guy's way more conservative and taking longer to get to breakdown. Another one rips it open and is overcapitalizing on horsepower. I mean, yep. there's so many different ways to think about well, it. Well, that's so. the other part too, right? Is it's like, what are your, how are your contracts written? Are they exactly. based off of horsepower? Are they based off of, you know, time, number of stages? Like there's so many things in there that yep. get really, really interesting really quickly. So it's, it's, I'm excited for the fact that y'all are not just focused on, you know, the process, but also the other things that tie into that, right? Like I mean, that's always been the thing with frack is it's like, yeah, we could frack more, or we could frack you know at a lower rate, which depending on my pricing model, puts me into a cheaper price, but does that still achieving the same frack, you know, characteristics that I want? Vice versa, how do you know how to do that in real time? Like all those fun things. Bobby and I have had lots of conversations. I've got a lot of ideas on the logistics piece of the frack and or sand and chemicals that yep i mean when i was even when i was a frack engineer over a decade ago i was a glorified logistics manager and you know uh company man soothsayer (laughs) just make him happy and make sure all the shit's there so that we can frack and we'll follow you follow design and listen to the company man right like yeah but there's all these things on the logistics side where it's like hey uh you know the sand hauler got tied up for whatever reason totally and then now you're short on sand, so you can't start pumping. And now you're getting charged MPT. Like, yep. again, all those secondary kind of... Uh, Knock-on effects. Yeah, effects that, that come from all those things. So it's that's really exciting stuff.
1: Yeah, um, again, and we feel like there are so many of these examples where you have yeah. engineers <laughs> who have great ideas. Yeah. But they don't necessarily have the tools to act on them. Right. And And if we can be a provider of tools to help take those insights and turn them into actions, yeah. that's a win, right? That's a win for, for sure. the engineer. It's a win for the operator. And it it really has like huge positive benefits across the industry.
0: So yeah. talk real quick about the kind of productionizing and scalability piece. Cause I know that's yeah. a, that another thing that a lot We're of people, way underestimated they it. don't think about until they're there and they're mm-hmm. like, well, we'll get a raspberry Pi and yeah. <laughs>
1: Yes, we have some scar tissue around, around that topic. Everyone so in the IoT Everybody, space. everybody who's touched <laughs> IoT has it. Uh, I think you have to start with, do you have a, do you have a good foundation of information? Yeah. Right. And, and that can be, if you've, if you've got redundancy through your data sources, you're going to be probably just fine. Yeah. Okay, so figuring out what that looks like, that's the first piece. The next piece then is do you have a feedback mechanism on whatever that application is that you're running mm-hmm. because there needs to be buy-in <clears throat> from the engineers cuz I again I sort of characterize like to some degree builders and users like there mm-hmm. are people who are building applications so you may say hey I've got the best you know optimization model ever and I want to yep. use that great you've got you can create that you can build that and then we can help you deploy it yeah John's got to actually use it right? Are you going to use it? And you're only going to use it if you think (laughs) A, it has to show up that it has real positive impact. And B, it needs to consistently be able to, you need to interact with it to such a degree that you trust it, right? (laughs) Because trust is the thing that people forget, is Mm -hmm. that if you lose trust with any of your operators or otherwise, they'll figure out every which way they can to turn you off, right? So, So we feel like consistent feedback about how is this performing. So we talk about when you define an application, you articulate what the inputs are, you have whatever logic you've created, mm-hmm. and you have outputs. Outputs are speed changes and otherwise. But the other piece is impact metrics. Like, what are you sure. measuring, right? Yeah, so what? And, <laughs> and yeah. the impact metrics has actually been something that we, we've really focused on recently because it takes away this whole conversation of like, who gets credit, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, the, the decision was made, we can measure what the result was, and it's clear the application was working and it delivered that or somebody turned off the application yeah. and it delivered a different result. So now now you've got a, this really nice log that's auditable. Mm-hmm. You can go back and you can learn from that, okay? So that becomes part of the the caring and feeding that needs to happen with these applications. They sure. don't you can't just drop them just, in yeah. there it's and they work forever. Yeah. So so that means from a resource perspective if you're the if you're working on that for your company and you're developing it you're going to have to allocate some amount of time to retrain mm-hmm. right? but you can you can understand when the when those impact metrics go outside of a range that you're comfortable with yeah. that can trigger it or if John says hey it's it's not it's not getting me what i need yeah then that can be another trigger and all of a sudden you now have a much more collaborative relationship because i think one of the other things that we've noticed is Many of, our, many of our customers still have silos between the software engineers and the production engineer, Yeah. right? Let alone a data scientist, let alone, <laughs> like, I mean, so yeah. you've got all these silos and we're in a day and age where it's super easy to actually collaborate between people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you don't actually speak the same language, right? Yeah, you true. speak Python, you know, who knows what you speak, but <laughs> like some combination of Excel and something else. So if you can t- to help bring those people together, mm-hmm. share a view on what you're trying to achieve, be able to give feedback around how this application is is actually performing, you're going to come up with new ideas. You're gonna be able to give him like, hey, every time I see this, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Can you can you sort of write the code to do something about right. that? Yeah. So now you're getting like real value yeah. across both production and software engineering. For sure. And that's how we sort of see you have to... Now, you don't always have to be the developer. You can use a third party if you want right. to and otherwise, but at the end of the day, you have to have buy-in that this works yeah because if you don't you'll figure out a way to sabotage it
0: yeah
1: oh that's very true yeah
0: and i think just talking about the scaling part is like i've been on projects where like you have some really talented data scientists and machine learning
1: engineers they
0: don't know ml ops like exactly deploying those is is not the same skill set totally like yeah
1: so data science data engineering actual application development like these are all different areas of expertise yeah and a link what we've been trying to do is to sort of simplify that as much as possible so our pipeline can be you've written something in python again you can define you know you can define inputs and outputs and impact metrics you probably can yeah great we'll wrap that and push it out to an application you get to evaluate it go you don't have to it's it's hard to push a jupyter notebook into production i I can show you (laughs) we have a way now actually um so but i think those are the types of innovations that are also trying to just simplify what is historically been a complex process yeah, yeah. and the easier you make it the more leverage you get
0: yeah no i think a lot of people think oh well you're in software so like you can do everything like well, you, it's like people you thinking, can stand i'm up in servers, it even right. and, you know hey come fix my printer you know, yeah like, <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> i still fix my father-in-law's printer uh, yeah right? so yeah.
0: i know bobby and i do the same with our, <laughs> all, yes. all of our relatives no but that's uh people i, I think a lot of it is just we're not the energy industry in general is not nearly as familiar or experienced at building software, especially at enterprise production scale. Right. And so, it's one of those things that you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And they're like, "Oh, we can try this out and do it," and then they get into it. And like, oh, like, like there's a guy that has to do the data engineering, and then a data scientist, and then you've got to have someone that does the architecture and the right. servers and the management, and then the production and management of all of that stuff. Like. There's so much more to it. Oh yeah, then you need a GUI that yep. is pseudo useful and intelligently done, and you know, intuitive in some kind of way, and like, and that's another person that yep. you need. That's, yeah. uh, ask me how we know that, John. <laughs> yeah.
1: But what's interesting about that too is what we're finding is there are still operators that want to build it all. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and they've got they've got a, an ambitious, <clears throat> you know, IT department and. They understand how to use Docker and they've got ideas yeah. around, you know, open source, this and that. And the challenge is like in those cases, you walk in and you're like, yeah, you, c- you could do this. Mm-hmm. You could do what we're doing over two years and mm-hmm. then you got to maintain it. And yeah. then you've got like And is that the highest and best use of your time? Yeah. Right. That's that's, that's... the thing I keep coming back to. I'm like, you, of course you could. Because if you yeah. tell an engineer they can't do something, they're going to figure it, it out and yes. figure out how to do it just to spite you. My right? fastest way to
0: motivation is to
1: tell me I can't do something. Right. So you're like, you, you 100% can do it. Yeah. That's not the question. The question is, should, should you do yeah. it? Like, What are you best at? And that's where we come back to comparative advantage. Like, We're really good at understanding how to deliver control software. We know that applications can optimize assets if you use our system. Yeah. So, so you don't have to worry about that. We got you go figure out how you build more applications because right. you know yeah. if you do that you're going to get more optimized assets that's yeah. great right that's a win so again it's trying to figure out exactly what we do well and we can complement what others do well and uh, and for others to recognize that yes you could do everything but should you
0: yeah, yeah. no i mean i think even within the industry as a whole a lot of people struggle with that right like should we just be software or should we do software and hardware or should we do you know like yep should we just do data or should we do data and soft like right these are firsthand experiences bobby and i have had and it's one of those things that it's it's getting a lot better because the industry is finally opening up to you know jv's partnerships and like actually working for vendors and operators and more than one player is coming to the table to say yep. hey It makes a lot more sense for me to do the data and you to do the software because I've done data for the last 20 years and you've done software for the last 20 years instead of us trying to compete against each other for this yeah. same totally. new solution and, and be poor. Right. And both be that. poor, like, yeah. crappier versions. Like I, said, I, I did a full stack web developer bootcamp. I would not pay me to build a website. Right, like, I mean, <laughs> right. But I can speak your language and we can have good, intelligent conversations or relatively intelligent. Which is but, good.
1: Like you need some of that yeah. because you also need, you need IT teams that can, can call BS sure. on, on folks who are coming yeah. in and selling them like the moon and the stars. Yeah. Our approach now is like, there's a lot of really interesting, smaller companies that are doing super interesting stuff yeah. great we can collaborate with them right we like i was with jose silva from zecta yeah. earlier right and you know they should be a partner of ours they mm-hmm. are partners we worked with them back in the day yeah we're now in a position where they can make recommendations we can take those recommendations and act on them
0: yeah that's funny i was i was thinking about
1: them when you were talking about
0: because i mean they're a little higher they're abstracted away say for them the pump side for the most part yeah but like
1: you guys but they really play well totally yeah so but even then you see like you can build a model in Azure Studio, you can do something in Seek, you can do these other things, and and those become again the logic that can drive an application. Yeah. And but we don't have to we don't we're not gonna do everything. We just wanna do our stuff exceptionally really
0: well. Yeah. And that's I, I think that's to all the CEOs and entrepreneurs and folks out there that's such a like it's so simple, but it's also very hard when you're a company and you especially in a space where there is so much opportunity because then they start they bring you oh but whoa if you can do this with that then can you do it with this and you need to listen to that and document that and keep that there but being able to focus and specialize i feel like there have been way less companies that have failed because of that than have failed
1: because they got way too outside of their
0: specialty (laughs) and spent a bunch of time and money on stuff that they're not very good at
1: yep and fell apart and listen we're guilty of that i've chased a whole bunch of shiny things right oh i mean it happens it's human nature yeah and 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 again that's where i have to sort of keep coming back to say okay what do we what are we really the best at And how do we continue to sort of invest in that and be and be focused on it but it's hard it's not it's not it's not something that's easy for me to say no to opportunity but it's what's required if you're going to actually be successful in the long term i'm a product guy so i I love spinning new stuff out. i'm like like steve jobs i'm like focus isn't like saying like, one the, it's like saying no to a thousand mm-hmm, things that's you know, right
0: that like yep um but do you want right. to jump into a little that little hour blue i know it's quick <laughs> i was not uh tick tocking earlier i was trying to find my list of questions that All i right. can no longer find so um we'll we'll do a mixture of them because i remember a few of them but um mac linux or windows linux you want to throw in just the open-ended ones because I probably can't remember all of mine. <laughs> mine. Nah, I was going to ask him a real, real tough one. Houston or San Francisco? Houston. Ooh. 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 Spicy. Coming yeah. in hot. I like it. Um, GCP, AWS, or Azure? AWS. Who's your favorite social media follow? Any social media. Yeah, it could be it. anything. It be any topic. Outside the domain, whatever. LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. Peter Atia. Okay. Favorite. Top three books, or just three good. Let's just go with three good
1: books because top top is hard. But. Siddhartha. Followed by. Um. What did I just finish? The. That's such a hard question for me right now yeah i'm reading like four different books um
0: you have any good tech focused ones
1: that i like zero to one yeah yeah and um what, what about else? business you've got an nba too right i do i'm there
0: investment side
1: my uh my college uh Finance professor is a guy named Gary Smith who wrote the investments book that I used that I still refer to. It's just real basic, but it's awesome. And, and now he's uh, he writes all about the limitations of AI. He's also okay. a statistics guy, <laughs> uh, and he's hilarious because he just tears stuff down. Sure. and and I really enjoy that because it's just it's good perspective. Yeah, on what works, what doesn't work, what are the limitations, and I think that comes back to. If you do, if you understand statistics, you know that like these things are not all-knowing. Yeah, yeah. they're right. not sentient. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so great. Like, think about it that way, and then understand how to apply it.
0: Yeah. Uh. Xbox, PlayStation, or Nintendo. None of the above. The PC. None of the above. None of the like no here. gaming. I'm right there with you. The only thing is, I ever played even before were sports games, and then. But um, it's hard to. Hard, I uh, hard to not I've, to enjoy NBA I've, Jam. Yeah, I've time. told my
1: kids uh, this. This totally dates me, but um, I was really good at a at a Atari game called River Raid, <laughs> which was and I had like a top ten score. Is that I the tech,
0: one where you like you're going down a river and the stuff is just moving up the yeah, screen at you? you I had just, like a top ten score. On that's river Raid awesome. And I
1: nice. Took a Polaroid of it and I sent it in, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> just mic drop. literally i like, just doing, doing I said i said i could spend years and years of the rest of my life doing this yeah, kind of stuff yeah and that's not that's not the highest and best use yeah. of my time that's, that's i like that you
0: got a top 10 I'm like all right
1: <laughs> that's it like, place
0: that flag yep, then we're
1: good onwards
0: um worry, favorite open source library
1: <sighs> pass okay
0: now, you know why well, we went to multiple choice questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard putting people on the spot. Uh, we'll do the last one. What's, uh, what's some a piece of advice you'd give to either young startup or someone in the, in the industry or outside the industry trying to get into the energy tech space?
1: It will, you have to be so resilient. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very good piece of advice. And, and more resilient than you think you can mm-hmm. be, but you can be. Yeah. Right? It's and, a- Roller coaster. So you just and just keep going, yep. and if you do, you can accomplish great things. And if you don't, like, yeah, you'll fail. Mm-hmm. But just the resilience is the thing that like continues to show up for me. Yeah, like there are so many really brilliant ideas out there that don't get executed on yeah. because people just don't have the wherewithal to keep going. Yeah, and if you keep going, you might actually get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, um. <laughs> self-titled startup masochist and uh it's one of those things that damn near every startup i've ever worked for has gotten to a point where it's like we're about to run out of money or we're running out of money or we need to find another event whatever it is yep and it's amazing at how just like it seems like sheer luck the successful the ones that make it something happens through pure determination and resiliency and grit that you know, they went to a happy hour and they randomly met a guy the week that they you know totally. they needed money like yeah, it's and it's just all about that constant I'm if I stop, that's the only way we're failing. That's right. right. Like and it's it's so true. It's, uh, it's that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I me mean, just keep doing it, keep
1: you know. And it's so hard. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the piece. Is like people don't people never realize how mm-hmm. hard it is until they're into it. Sure. But then it becomes so rewarding yeah just because you're like hey we're still going yeah mm-hmm. um, it's not as rewarding i
0: probably shines a lot of perspective though too it does it's just like i mean like you realize you start to really realize what's important Absolutely. like i mean that you you have that right support group around you and
1: the, like that's really what's important yeah. and, then, and then this is a, just a byproduct yeah. yeah there's also i think you just have to get comfortable with randomness yeah and that's hard because yeah. everybody Something wants to like, control I just, I just, I'm the best at something and I'm going to get rewarded because I'll just, I'll work on everybody else. And there are occasions right, where that happens, yeah. but that's the exception to the rule. Yeah. Instead, I find that so much of it is just being comfortable with the fact that there are so many things you cannot control. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this is what I, I talk to my kids about this all sure. the time. I'm yeah. like, focus on inputs, not on outputs. Yeah. Like what can you control? <clears throat> Put your attention there. Yeah. Great. The, the stuff that's going to come out of the back end, how well did you prepare for that test will be an input mm-hmm. on yeah. how you do. Yeah. But if you get all the questions that you studied, you're going to do great. And if you get none of the questions you studied, you're probably going to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's randomness in that. Mm-hmm. Be comfortable with it. Don't sure. be upset right. by it. Right. Don't let the one
0: question that you didn't study throw you completely no, just off. just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how many companies have started in the energy space and just were completely... At the wrong time, like too early, hit yep started, and then you hit a bus, like there's so much of that, right like yep and uh but yeah you have you've got to be resilient because the energy industry is full of very high highs and
1: very low lows yep <laughs> it's uh, it's it's part of it it requires a strong stomach, but it's it's also incredibly important work, yeah,
0: you know that's the biggest part, right is like energy goes into
1: everything,
0: yep like to manufacture. Anything you need energy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh that's yeah, that's why these guys started DW. So not enough people talk about it or realize it, think about it in their daily lives, right? Yeah, because they take it for granted. Absolutely. Until until you've got you know rolling blackouts yeah, you know, in California yeah. and like ice hey, storms in Texas. I, mean, I was gonna say uh, I was out of power for three days. Yeah, i storm in Texas. I mean, like, it was crazy how quick we went. Almost like felt like Apocalypse. What I would imagine third world, like yeah. like people were waiting at the one restaurant that's open.
1: Like right, yeah, and I and then that's where I sort of see you know. As we think about demand, right? There's a billionaire conditioners are gonna come onto the market in the next ten years. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: And then and yeah. not to mention all the new GPUs to power all the AI and exactly and all of that stuff. So yeah. that's no, that was uh, <laughs> that was one of the first lessons I learned about energy was like, Hey, guess what? energy is not going anywhere demand for energy is not going anywhere. the source of that energy may change throughout time yeah the energy industry is literally never going away right? yep. like energy is required for human flourishing exactly right? that's so, right where can uh where can people find you kelvin.ai cool best place best,
1: best, Perfect. best place to go
0: awesome peter thanks thanks for coming man yeah, hey, thanks so great, much
1: great to be with you guys appreciate it thanks while some may see them as the crazy ones we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do goodbye